to LGBT Cliff Notes. My name is Alyssa. My pronouns are she and her. And my name is Maria. My pronouns are also she and her. Today, we're talking about more gay animals. Yeah. Everyone, <laughs> yeah, everyone loved hearing about gay penguins, including Maria. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved researching gay penguins. So this episode is a win for everyone. I want to give a special shout out to two of our listeners in Australia, Australia, who messaged us about how much they loved learning about gay penguins. Uh, I hope you guys also enjoy this episode. Uh, Real quick, I hate to do it, but I want to just real quickly say, please subscribe to our Patreon or donate via Ko-fi. Both are linked in the show notes. We have hosting costs. (laughs) And if you're not in a position to donate money you know please rate us five stars on itunes and write a review it really really helps get our show out to more people Mm -hmm. and it's a very good show so we want it to get some more people i mean i'm inclined to agree back to the show uh (laughs) a quick overview of what we're going to talk about on this episode we have gayness in flies including how to flirt like a fly as well as gayness in birds that might be even cooler than gayness in penguins. What? I know, it's incredible considering how cool gayness in penguins is. Mm. But first, I, I gotta do it. I have a quick note on gay genes in humans and the possibility of a genetic component to gayness. Mm. So while doing my reading for this episode... I came across many papers and pages of explanations for how same-sex attraction could possibly exist, given that most same-sex couples can't have children that are genetically related to both Mm. of them. We all know same-sex attraction is real. It does exist. But I want to talk about it briefly because this is a stupid argument that comes up for gays not being natural, that if people are really born gay, the species would have died out. And it's pretty funny reading these incredibly complicated scenarios where there's some complex genetic inheritance pattern where genes are skipping generations or only make it into certain children or actual calculations on what mutations in which genes might cause homosexuality in a child, but not the parents. There's a lot of scientists basically just fucking jumping through hoops trying to be like, oh, what's this crazy gay thing? And all of those things might be true, but I have to lean toward the parsimonious Occam's razor explanations. (laughs) The simplest reasons are most likely to be true. Mm. So for me, the most obvious simple explanation is two factors that are still true of gay people today, and I see no reason why they wouldn't be true in the past. First, if you're in a same-gender couple and want a kid, there are many scenarios where you can have sex with someone else to produce a baby. Whether it's raised in the same-sex couple or not, your quote-unquote gay genes continue. Mm. Relatedly, um, unfortunately, a lot of people who are gay wind up in marriages with people they are not actually sexually attracted to, but still produce children. Mm. I know a lot of people with stories of their gay aunt or uncle who had children, but then came out of the closet, started living their best lives. Uh, But since they've already had kids, their quote unquote gay genes continue. Mm. So the second blindingly obvious factor is that you don't need to have your own children for your genes to be carried on. 
if you have siblings or cousins, they also share your genes. If your mm. siblings have children, and especially if you help raise those children so they survive to reproduce, your mm. genes are going to continue. Mm-hmm. <sighs> So that's my rant. Basically, we don't need any complicated explanations for how gayness still exists if it's uh, genetically encoded. There are very simple ways to explain the existence of same-sex attracted people. Hmm. The very last thing I want to say about it before moving past humans into flies, into birds, is how incredibly complicated genetic inheritance is and all the effects of your environment and all the little effects in your DNA that can add up to big effects and the huge changes that can be made if just a little bit of your DNA changes. Basically, we don't know about how humans inherit most traits. We definitely don't have a good explanation for the genetic basis of human sexuality. Mm. And that's why I lean toward the simpler explanations I gave earlier. Yeah. All right. On to gayness in flies. So this section is a fun story (laughs) on messing with genes to induce gayness in Drosophila melanogaster, a.k.a. fruit flies. Mm -hmm. These are a very common model organism, uh, especially for studies on genetics. So by now, if you've been listening, you're used to me giving caveats. Mm -hmm. And of course, I have one here. Scientists study model organisms for a variety of reasons. And one reason is to guide research in humans because we can't take human fetuses and (laughs) fuck with their genomes and see what happens. Well, not ethically. Ethically, yeah. Uh, But we can do that in pretty much any other species, and a lot of people don't feel bad about it. So, so real quick. um, Mm -hmm. So when you you talk about model organisms, this is, like, just for clarification purposes. One, like, what exactly are model organisms when you... you Uh when you say model organism, what do you mean by that? Right. So there's there are a few um, critters that we've deemed good models for various things. So mm-hmm. I think and, and some scientist that researches something is going to hate me because I missed their thing. But like the main ones are Drosophila melanogaster. Um, mm. We have Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is baker's mm. yeast. Mus musculus, which is mice. Rattus norvegicus, which is rats. And then you also get specific organisms for like certain disorders. Like I know there's one thing that people always use dogs for because they're a really good model for like hearing loss or something. Hmm. Um, and then, of course, like people can experiment on whatever, you know, you, you yeah. can decide that you want to study this specific fish. Um, but model organisms are basically organisms that like a lot of different labs use to study various things. And Drosophila melanogaster is one of the original ones. I mean, most Mm. people, a lot of them are things that you just don't really feel bad about killing, (laughs) right? So, I mean, if you can do it in flies or like, oh, oh, zebrafish, that's another one. Um, Nematodes. Mm. I just, I know I'm going to miss a couple and I'm so sorry if they're your favorite model. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so, so people like to do it in things that they don't, care about as much, but also as close to humans as we can get. So mm-hmm. a lot of times people, obviously, we experiment on other primates, chimpanzees and whatever, but you have to have just like an amazingly good reason because we see chimpanzees and gorillas as more lovable and close to us than like flies. Okay. So okay. <laughs> 
Yeah. So cool. a mammal Thank organism you. is just a commonly used animal critter. Gotcha. Okay. Well, thank you. Okay. Yeah. So what we find in another species is almost never directly the same as it would be in humans. For example, you see these incessant news articles with headlines like cure for cancer. But then if you read the actual story, uh, you find out that they did one small experiment in mice or rats. And that means very little for a human cure for cancer without a lot more testing. So these experiments that we do in these model organisms do inform our knowledge of human biology, but a lot of times it's not like directly applicable. So I'm going to talk about gay genes in flies mm. and modifying fly genomes to get gay flies. But they <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think anyone would do this, but don't rush out to have this gene tested for yourself <laughs> to prove you're gay or not. Um, it's a gene that changes courtship behavior in male flies. Humans don't even have it. So <laughs> we're yeah, we're just talking about gay flies. Mm. So. The reason that we're talking about it um, is because uh, gay animals are cool and I like thinking about gay flies. But also, it's a good example of how someday we might find the underlying genetic components to human sexuality. And I mean, gay, gay flies. I had no idea yeah. that they had genetically engineered gay flies. It's just it's fucking rad. <laughs> <laughs> what a study. So this specific study is one of those rare examples where altering a single gene can change behavior. Super mm. rare. Amazing. The gene is called fruitless. And here is a fun historical note mm, about the naming of the fruitless gene and how scientists are smart in some ways, but completely awful in others. Oh. Yeah. In flies, genes are often named for what happens when you alter the gene so it's not functional anymore. So when scientists found this gene in the 60s, they thought it was funny to call it fruity because they found altering the gene caused male flies to court other male flies. So it was called fruity until 20 years later in the 80s. Some other scientists published a paper on the gene and said, hey, uh, fruity is extremely rude to gay people. Let's call it fruitless instead, because flies without this gene don't produce offspring. In the paper, they actually use a word like deplorable or like it's it's a big like 10 cent word about like how ridiculous it is that this oh. gene was called fruity. Like, yeah. I mean, you can tell the authors were like, why are we doing this? I mean, to be fair, it is pretty deplorable in hindsight. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, yeah. And and it just stuck around for forever because I, yeah, because scientists were all straight white mm. men. Um, we're, we're doing better now, but yeah. Okay. Anyway, let's talk about some gay flies. Yes. In 1996, researchers added mutations into the fruitless gene to see how it would change courtship behavior in male flies. All three mutations they tried resulted in bisexual male flies. The flies courted both male flies and female flies. So <laughs> out of curiosity, do you, do you I, I mean, I'm sure you do know, but could you do you know how this works? Like, how do you add mutations to something like this? I mean, oh. Um, I don't want to, okay, like, if so, it's a long, drawn-out answer. No, 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 no. Like... So, 
these days it's much easier. Um, and so in, in 1996, the way they would have done it is uh, we used to do a lot of we huh. scientists used to do a lot of mutation work by just <laughs> amazingly just x-raying either organisms or chromosomes. Mm-hmm. And if you x-ray something, it causes the DNA to break and causes mutations. Right. So. Uh huh. So that was the method back in 1996. I don't know all the specifics, but yeah, they would have like taken a a chromosome and induced, just x-rayed the shit out of it and then picked the chromosome that had the mutation that they were looking for. Uh, And then you like back cross, you just breed it into a stock fly so that you wind up having a stock. Um, Now it's much easier. I'm sure you've heard of like, CRISPR and Cas9, and yeah. it's it's different for all organisms, but yeah, used okay. to be X-rays. Cool, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, right, they introduced these three mutations in this fruitless gene. They created bisexual male flies, and I want to slow this down for a second and just reiterate how amazing it is to change a, a behavior based on this little change in your genome. So a genome is a sequence of base pairs, letters A, G, C, T. The fruit fly genome has 137 million letters. That's equivalent to a book that's about 800 pages long, which is longer than Ulysses. Ulysses isn't even 800 pages. So (laughs) you have those 137 million letters And if you change just a few of them, it completely changes courtship behavior and creates gay flies. Hell yeah. I just, I, like I said earlier, it's important to understand that most traits in humans are not so straightforward. Very rarely do we find mutations that are so small and change behavior in such a dramatic way. The fact that we discovered this in flies just... boggles my mind. It's just, Mm. it's so cool. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So of course I, I have my own bias that I recognize. So my immediate question when I read about bisexual male flies was whether anyone had tried mutating this fruitless gene in female flies. (laughs) And luckily for once they have in 2005, Researchers introduced the same mutations from that 1996 paper we were just talking about in female flies. Two of these mutations created bisexual female flies. Nice. Yep. Female flies with this mutation displayed the exact same courtship behavior as male flies do when courting female flies. Now, I don't know about you, but (laughs) when I read exact same courtship behavior, I wondered, what exactly do flies do to court another fly? Do they yeah. bring them a nesting gift like penguins? Do they do a cool dance? Like, what? <laughs> what is it going to be? And I'm so delighted by the answer that I'm going to share it with you. Oh, awesome. Courtship in flies is super well studied. Like I said, uh, this is a model organism, which means a lot of things about it are very well studied. Courtship begins with a fly tapping another fly. Literally just using his little fly foreleg, tapping on the female fly. <laughs> Apparently, I, I love anthropomorphi- 
anthropomorphizing it <laughs> because like it's just it's just very funny it's like you see someone hot in a bar and you walk up and you just like tap on their torso but mm. in flies apparently it's a way to make sure the fly is female the male's foreleg can detect female pheromones right. so okay. after tapping <laughs> on the intended female fly the male fly vibrates his wing to produce a song this is a crucial part of courtship there mm. are good songs and there are bad songs and a good song makes the female fly more likely to allow copulation mm -hmm. in fact male flies nearby um appear to practice their wing vibration song to fine-tune it before <laughs> attempting to court a female they they, they practice and if a courtship song is really good and there's other flies around, it makes other males more enthusiastic about courting. So, like, you know, when there's a really good song playing that's just putting you in the mood, you get a whole fly orgy. <laughs> it's, it's nice to see dating anxiety in other species. <laughs> yeah. Anthropomorphizing. I love it. Yes. Uh, okay. So the next step in fly courtship shows that male flies are a lot more courteous than a lot of straight human men. <laughs> after, the <laughs> after the courtship song, the male fly begins licking the female fly's genitalia. Oh, that, that escalated quick. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... I yeah. mean, yeah. I, I, you, you, did, they did the song, right? You yeah, know, that's true. There was a song. That's, yeah. You, you gotta... Your flies don't live that long. You gotta get with it. Sometimes you just, you hear a song so good, you got to put something in the tip jar. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Sorry. So, uh, that's right, human men. If you're not going down on a woman before sex, you are inferior to a fruit fly. Put that shit on a billboard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am, though. Seriously. Yep, yep, yep. So, the last step in fruit fly courtship is the male attempting to mount the female. And I love this because the male is only able to have sex if the female complies by spreading her wings, which allows the male fly to mount. Often the male has to repeat the process several times until the female allows copulation. Mm. You can read all kinds of fun anthropomorphized stuff into that. Yeah. Um, so to summarize, if you want to flirt like a fly, First, <laughs> tap on the person you're interested in. Then sing them a, a song better than any song they've ever heard. Then go down on them. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, ask for consent and have sex only if the person enthusiastically and physically agrees. If they don't, try the first steps again and maybe take some alone time to practice your song. <laughs> flies uh and their genetically induced gayness and their courtship practices let's move on to another winged critter that most people find more endearing birds oh people like birds right i mean compared to flies you're like yeah mm, i mean birds are cuter some people don't really like birds but if you compare it to a fly i feel like the choice is straightforward yeah yeah <laughs> Okay, so 
One of the first animals that researchers reported as totally gay were seagulls. People had observed gayness in wild animals before this, but due to their own biases, they either A, didn't report it, or B, reported it as not really being same-sex attraction. Like, oh, how cute, these two are building a nest together, but they're both female birds, so they must just be really good friends. (sighs) Yep. They're nest mates. (laughs) And they were nest mates. So in 1997, or 19, in 1977, a paper was published called Female-Female Pairing in Western Gulls in Southern California. That's right. Lesbian seagulls. Yes. (laughs) I did not know this at any point until um, Maria heard about I was going to talk about lesbian seagulls, but apparently this is a thing that like a lot of you will be giggling about because it was a song on Beavis and Butthead. Like I, I didn't know that. Lesbian seagull. Sorry. Beautiful. Uh, Lesbian seagulls do exist. It's, it's true. And now we're going to talk about them. So when this paper was published, 1977, predictably Christian conservatives were outraged Uh, You can see the link in show notes for an article about the 1977 study and some of the ridiculous shit people published in response. It's absurd Mm. and I don't have time to cover all of it. But one article trying to hide bigotry by expressing concern about funding (laughs) derogatorily writes that the National Science Foundation shouldn't be paying money for this, calling it, quote, a goofy grant and ridiculing the people at the National Science Foundation as, quote, eggheads. <sighs> it's it's always the sign of a good argument when mm. you resort to name calling instead mm-hmm. of stating facts. The article doesn't even argue the fact that gay goals exist, just that we shouldn't be studying them, despite this being one of the first instances ever recorded of same-sex attraction definitively seen and studied in animals but you know they're they're gay so don't don't fund that i mean that's against various beliefs i don't know it's it's dumb and also don't forget to call them a bunch of nerds too that'll definitely like really just (gasps) drive that point home that that article is just full of like really shitty language i uh i don't know yeah yeah, it's it's bad. Well, it's okay, because statistically speaking, that person's probably dead now. <laughs> okay, sure. I feel like there's a recurring, like, joke about you, like, making fun of dead people. Or, like, only, if they're, only if they're opposed to, like, me just being able to exist. Ex- Everyone yeah, else is fine. Yeah, I guess fine. that's true. That's, that's fair. So there were other responses to the 1977 study on lesbian goals that were more heartening. Uh, there's a typewritten letter that was written directly to the researchers that says, quote, you are learning what I learned as a child on a farm in Kentucky from (laughs) from my mother's flock of Plymouth Rock and Rhode Island red chickens. I'm not against your scientific endeavors, but I'm surprised that you're surprised. want some gay Rhode Island red chickens. Like, that sounds amazing. The letter also goes on to recommend that the researchers read a 1960 article about queer deer. Hey, that rhymes. 
Yeah, I which I automatically love because yeah, yes. queer deer. Queer deer. It just yeah. sounds nice. I don't know. Maybe later I'll look up queer deer and talk about those. Mm. But back to the seagulls. What I especially love about this research is that they looked at past data and found the lesbian seagulls formed stable pairs over years, just like the straight seagulls. There is no mention in the original article of how exactly the females get pregnant year after year, despite hundreds of hours of observation through all stages of the breeding cycle. Hmm. The researchers do point out that Male gulls have been, say, have been seen mating with female gulls that are not their partner. So presumably the lesbian gulls find a male up for a quickie and then return to the nest to raise the babies with their bird wife. Mm -hmm. It's lovely. Yeah. Follow-up studies found... Because, of course, when you, when you see, you know, gay behavior in animals, if you are a good scientist, you're immediately like, okay, I mean... Let's let's figure out if there's anything biologically or genetically abnormal in these lesbian seagulls. So there was a follow up study that found the hormone levels in gay seagulls were the same as straight seagulls. Um, they also looked at behavior and they didn't see any adoption of male behaviors by one lesbian gull in a couple. The lesbian gulls incubate eggs just like straight gulls and perform all the same courtship and territorial behaviors. The only difference is that lesbian seagulls are <laughs> rarely try to mount or copulate with other female seagulls. So, all right, the hmm. researchers got a lot of pushback about this mm. and they they kept studying it and unfortunately it seems that there are no more lesbian seagulls where the original study was done on an island off the coast of Santa Barbara, California, where once 14%, 14% of the birds were in female-female couples. Now there are none. One of the original researchers hypothesizes that their original observation of lesbianism was due to a lack of males, because in the hmm. 1970s, the island had way more females than males. But by the 1990s, the sexes were more even. Hmm. So that was interesting to me. And I <laughs> then started looking at a bunch of other birds and wondering, because they, they didn't really... This was just a hypothesis, right? They didn't prove right. or disprove whether the lesbian gulls were coupling up because there um, was a lack of males. Mm. So I'm going to talk about one last example that addresses that a little bit more tightly. Mm. That example is the Laysan albatross. And I just, I really, I don't know why I really like that name, the Laysan albatross. It just seems... Yeah. Or maybe I'm just, I feel now that I know all this about this albatross, I, I just feel very affiliated and I like this bird a lot. So. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. In 2008, researchers published a paper on female-female couples in the Laysan albatross. And again, it caused mm. a ridiculous uproar, <laughs> like when lesbian seagulls were discovered. Uh, so like penguins and seagulls, Laysan 
albatross mate for life. And the study found that almost one third of the Laysan albatross on Oahu, Hawaii are female female pairs, which is so many. Can you imagine a world where 31% of couples are gay? Emphatically, yes, I can. I just, it it seems so nice. I wish I was a Laysan albatross. Um, so an important note here about finding same-sex couples and like, why are we discover? you know, we found these seagulls in the 70s. It took until 2008 to find this in the albatross. Hmm. An important note is that Laysan albatross look the same, whether they're male or female, which is true of a lot of birds. <laughs> and I do want to say that they are gorgeous birds. They are... Hmm. Oh, they just have these beautiful, sleek, snow white necks that blend into dark wings. And best of all, they look like they're wearing eyeliner. So if you look at a bunch of pictures of, of course I did, of Laysan albatross, you see some birds that have like this smoky eye look and other Laysan albatross have more of a cat eye going on. I, I highly recommend looking up pictures. They are some gorgeous birds. I'm very angry about birds that have a better eye makeup game than me. <laughs> My dog has a better eyeliner game than me. It's, it's not fair. It's not yeah, fair. It sucks. So like I said, you can't tell a female Laysan albatross from a male just by looking at it. So researchers just assumed that when two birds pair off, one is female and the other is male. Heteronormativity. <clears throat> <clears throat> So the female-female albatross couples were discovered because a biologist in the 2000s noticed certain nests had two eggs, and it was the same nests every year. Laysan albatross are only capable of laying one egg per year, like many other birds. So it was kind of curious that there were two eggs. Another little bit of history. Since 1919, scientists have observed albatross nests with two eggs. It's a a well-known phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And of course, it couldn't be that the nest was shared by two female birds. So for a long time, people weren't really sure what was going on. There were a lot of hypotheses. And then in the the 1960s, one albatross researcher prominent in the albatross researching field concluded that two eggs in a nest must mean that one female accidentally laid an egg in another female's nest. (sighs) It's it's gotta be that, right? So so everyone accepted this explanation, apparently not even considering the possibility of two females sharing a nest. And accidental egg laying became the explanation for the next... 40 years oh my god what's this researcher british um i don't know i didn't look him up because he seemed like he sucked so i mean yeah fuck him that's fair (laughs) so back to the laysan albatross from the 2008 study as i said before one of the authors noticed the same nest had two eggs every year and if eggs are accidentally being laid in the wrong nest, you would expect random nests to have two eggs, not the same nests. Kind of obvious. Amazing how long straight people overlooked that fact. So this author, apparently the first not homophobe to study albatross, genetically tested the birds that were on a nest with two eggs. And 
uh, found they were female. So then she proceeded to test all of the birds on the island. And voila, 31% of the nests belong to female, female couples. <gasps> no, it took almost 100 years, but finally... <laughs> Someone considered the possibility of gay albatross. <laughs> so I love this show. One of the oh, so many reasons why we need diversity in science, but like, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, th this is one of them. So back to the so, like I said, the the island off the coast of Santa Barbara, one of the hypotheses that the author had was, oh, there's an excess of female seagulls. So, you know, they're going to pair up with each other. So in this study on the Laysan albatross, I was also curious about that factor. And indeed, there are slightly more females than males on the island. 59% of the albatross are female. However, the researchers note that there are unpaired males available. Okay. So I did my own quick back of the envelope math. <laughs> That shows that if males are 41% of the population, right? Because mm -hmm. we have 59% female, that means 41% must be male. If mm. we're being heteronormative about it, we would expect 41% of the females to be in straight couples, right? Mm -hmm. So that leaves 18% of the females to pair together. That means that, don't worry, I'll also have a simple, concise <laughs> bit at the <laughs> end, but I do want to mm -hmm. step through the math. Yeah. This means that if female-female couples were only paired because of the lack of males, mm -hmm. less than 20% of the couples would be gay. And instead, the researchers find that 31% of the albatross are in female-female couples. So mm -hmm. to get rid of the percentages, to try to make it more clear, we know, well, the researchers know, I know from reading their paper, there are 125 couples that lay eggs on Oahu, if you expect as many straight couples to form as possible, you would observe only 22 female-female couples. Instead, the researchers found 39. So, yeah. yeah, there's there's a big gap in, in those numbers um, from what we would expect just, you know, if we want to try to give this explanation where, oh, you know, if they could get male albatross they totally would nope clearly <laughs> clearly not there's some that are unpaired and there's way more lesbian albatross than we would expect so <laughs> to conclude there are two main reasons i like gay albatross more than gay penguins mm. one these are birds in the wild and the well-known examples of gay penguins that have been observed are in captivity I find the wild animal um, explanation research studies more compelling because all kinds of weird shit can happen in captivity. Right. So, yeah. Two, female-female pairing in Laysan albatross has been studied for four years uh, at this site. And almost half of those couples have remained in their same-sex couple for that entire time. And... Additionally, I, I, I kept looking it up. I'm just, you can tell I'm so pleased. Uh, <laughs> in a more recent paper that included Laysan albatross on another island, researchers found several gay couples, female-female gay couples, that had been together at least eight years and one that had been together for 19. Yay! I love that. I love yeah. that so much. 
so that's i mean that's longer than the penguin examples um i actually don't know how long penguins live but albatross lived to be i think like 70 so yeah, they yeah get up there's there. there's an old lesbian albatross couple out there that's been together for over 19 years i loved Good every job. part of that sentence i loved every part of that sentence <laughs> yeah. thank you you're welcome so that's the show gay flies gay seagulls gay mm-hmm. albatross and next time you're not sure how to approach a crush consider following the courtship rituals of the fruit fly <laughs> Please email us with questions, thoughts, topics you'd like to hear about. Contact information is in the show notes. We hope you tune in next episode. Thanks for listening. See you next time.